0: Welcome back. I'm excited today because my guest is Rebecca Blake. Rebecca is a teacher, artist, online class specialist, video editor, and spiritual life coach who lives in Los Angeles, California. Navigating life with an empowering context through present moment awareness is a central and daily practice for her. Rather than viewing ADHD as a limitation, Rebecca has harnessed the positive aspects and utilizes them in a multitude of creative endeavors. She founded Camp Steep, a Burning Man theme camp, in 2015 and continues to grow and expand that project. Additionally, she is a talented musician and artist, having earned a Bachelor of Science in Entertainment Design from Art Center College of Design in Pasadena. Rebecca spends her time supporting communities she cares about and striving to make a difference in heart centered ways. Yay, welcome, Rebecca.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: My pleasure. Uh, we both went to the same school. That's cool. That <laughs> no means we, it. right. It means we both, uh, probably learned throughout life that if we predominantly use our right brain that and, and are being creative, that we're tapping into p- potentially our true being, right?
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree with that.
0: And so we're talking about ADHD, right? This podcast is a, what I like to refer to, an extreme new view of ADHD. And you don't have to agree with any of our point of views or if any questions are too personal. You know, I always respect the space uh, uh, that this podcast is, which is you're already being vulnerable, courageous. Uh, Often we've had guests who share sensitive information and uh, I always wanna be respectful of that. Um, other than that, we're just gonna have a dialogue around ADHD and I wanna start with like, what is ADHD to you?
1: Um, oh, I'm, I'm really excited about this conversation. I'm, I'm really excited to crack into this. So uh, ADHD to me, you know, I didn't know that I uh, had ADHD until I was in college because I grew up Um, I was homeschooled my entire life. Mm. And um, very much a sort of unschooling approach. And I had a lot of uh, agency in how I learned, when I learned, the format, um, what my curriculum was. I got to choose things based on my interests. I would go to book fairs and be offered multiple options in the area of different subjects and be able to choose for myself which one interested me the most. So I I got to live a life that was um, guided by my interests until I went to college, which was my first time being in a environment that was dictated by uh, someone other than myself uh, as far as learning preferences. So ADD didn't really reveal itself to me as a problem or a struggle or a challenge until I got to that point. Um, And so for me, that context has really guided my approach as a person, but also how I perceive ADD. It was during college that I discovered it as an issue and one of the main reasons why I was having a really hard time getting through certain things that other people... Um, were finding easy. It was the first time that I realized that certain things were easier for other people than for myself. And um, and I was so textbook that my therapist didn't even, you know, think I needed to do the test because it was like, oh, that's really expensive and you're just textbook, so you know, let's just skip to the point.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, and so for me, add is an experience hmm. and um, and perhaps an approach and uh, and maybe an answer
0: got it great um, i love that story and i love the word experience um, tell uh, i have a couple questions so Take me back to your childhood. Why or how come your parents decided to homeschool or unschool because that is a bit popular today, but wasn't maybe that popular when you and I were little, right? So right. <laughs> how come, I'm just curious, because yay parents, that's that's awesome.
1: I know, right? Um, I'm, I'm a huge supporter of um, intelligent homeschooling that, you know, is not the, the stereotype, right? the The stereotype for homeschooling is that you're sheltered and that you're not around other kids and right. um, you don't get all of this exposure to all this stimuli. Ours was the opposite. We were in theater and sports, and my I grew up religious, so we were at church multiple times a week. And we we had all this different exposure, but we also got to be with my mom in particular throughout the day as she was adulting. And um, to, we learned how to interact with all different ages of people. Yep. In fact, it, most interestingly, it was my own personal age group that we had the least amount of interaction with because they were the ones who were in school all day long. So we saw the least of them. Yep. Um, but what got my mom uh, or my parents interested in homeschooling, interestingly, at first my mom was uh, against it, like very anti-homeschooling. Interesting. And uh, we had moved. I was born in Texas, and my dad's job moved us back and forth between Texas and California a few times when I was younger, and uh, eventually landing us here. Uh, And when we moved to California, we were way south in El Centro, which is just, you know, right on the border of Mexico. And Um, And I think it was someone that my mom met at church who was a foster parent. And she had, I think, maybe seven kids and um, through a series of conversations was able to kind of crack my mom's opinion about homeschooling. And to be honest with you, I don't remember exactly what the turning point was for her. I just remember that I think it had something to do with the moving back and forth, and um, and that you know it was going to ultimately serve us a little bit better and be a little bit more travelable if mm-hmm. we were going to be moving, and uh, and so we when we moved from. Down south, we moved a little further north. Still in the south, we moved up to Rancho Cucamonga and lived there for almost a year before we then moved back to Texas again. So we bounced around mm-hmm. quite a bit. Um, but once we started homeschooling, it just kind of worked. Um, and I have two other siblings, and they were also homeschooled. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that I'm the the one in particular that knows for certain that um, homeschooling worked out better for me and was absolutely the best way I could have learned. Um, I think both my siblings now i have a brother and a sister. I think that they have come into that um, just sort of feeling a a sense of privilege in having been homeschooled, Um, particularly the way that we were. We certainly, you know, were exposed to other homeschool kids who... Had been home for most of their life. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, that that's
0: interesting. And um, would you? So you chose to go to college yourself. You decided you wanted to go to college.
1: Uh, yes, and I would also say that um, that was an approach that was very much encouraged in my family. So Mm -hmm. sort of expected that you would go to college somewhere for something. Um, excellence was definitely very much a part of particularly my dad's conversation with reality. And, um, and so we definitely grew up in a space of you know, striving to do our best. Uh, I would say perfectionism was um, something that we had to navigate for sure. And um, But, y- you know, like the, the white picket fence kind of pathway was definitely a part of our mm-hmm. uh, encouraged growing up.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and so you, you knew you were an artist and you wanted to go, was that your first art center? Was your college?
1: Uh, no, I went to community college for first, okay. three-ish years before I went to art center and I transferred uh, as many units as I could to art center because I actually had a mentor who had gone to and taught at art center, um, at my college, uh, my community college. And, uh, he encouraged me to transfer as many units as I possibly Mm. could to the school so that my load was as light as it could be. And, and God bless him for it. Because honestly, um, without that, I don't know if I would have graduated. It was such an intense struggle. I remember you know, when an art center telling, like not, not getting to visit my parents, for instance, because the workload is so massive and nobody understands. Unless you mean at a, art center? Yeah, when I was at art center. And, um, you know, trying to find a way to prove to people that we were actually working that much. And I remember one week I clocked all of my hours. I got an app on yeah. my phone that had, you know, you could time how much time you you spent doing different activities. And I clocked a hundred and twenty six hours of work. Wow. And um two hours of play, which I remember that week very well because we watched Iron Man and it was I was elated to not be working. Wow. Um but that that environment really brought the ADD to the surface.
0: So let me ask you, you went to first a community college mm-hmm. and the focus there was just like, I'm just going to go to college and I I'm I want to get a degree, so I'm going to get I'm going to just go to college. Right. It wasn't necessarily that you were already set on going to Art Center. Uh, uh, uh,
1: Oh, I was. But you were okay. Yeah, yeah. I was. Um, Got it. I was. A, I've always been a very determined and pretty directional kind of person, and so I think I knew that I wanted to go to either Art Center or Otis, but I had my eye on Art Center because I wanted to work in video games um, mm. or or theme park design. So my my degree is in concept art. Cool. Entertainment design.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. you, you're saying, so, so when did uh, uh, sort of this struggle first show up? In community college or when the pressure got turned up at Art Center at the next uh, college?
1: Um, on the surface level, I would say it didn't show up until I was, um, I was in Art Center. However, looking mm. back on it and knowing myself a whole lot better now, I would say that there were times where it reared its head a little bit when I was in um, community college, mm-hmm. but that only happened um, when, and I would I would say not as a, a way of blame, but just as a way of illustrating when there was a failure in the instruction. Like it, it failed to be interesting or uh, to communicate in a way that I was capable of um, absorbing effectively. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: So um, let me tell you, you said earlier that your therapist or the person you went to, right? It was a psychologist, I uh, would imagine. Yes. Um, said that you were textbook. Do you remember what he or she meant by that or, or what was referred to or, or what did you experience that was so textbook?
1: Um, well, uh, the oh, my goodness. Um, when I get really stressed out is when the symptoms of ADD become almost unmanageable and so what happens is my first of all uh, my short term memory becomes just like a, a goldfish you know
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> like to... Yeah, I just like walk into another room and be like why am I here and that'll happen mm-hmm. all the time um, and then the other thing was is constantly being late um, and having an extreme difficulty in being able to switch between tasks. So it takes a long period of time for me to go from one thing to another thing that may seem fairly similar to other people. So they may seem like similar tasks to other people. Um, I'll sit there and watch someone just stop doing one thing and start doing another thing. And be mesmerized by that. Just how? How did you just, just go? How did you do that? Yeah. Really, um, that's... Art Center was definitely the place where I started to have baffling experiences like that. Because I was working right next to a lot of other students. We'd be pulling a lot of all-nighters. Other people's, like, style of work was very... Obvious, You know, you're working right there next to someone doing something with your hands so you can kinetically observe another person's body language and and how they're communicating with with their mental sphere physically. Right. Yeah. And I would see other people doing things very differently from me and not be able to understand what was happening. And that would become confusing for me because they'd be producing results a lot faster than I would. And I wanted to be able to do that and I would find myself cause I'm a very kinetic learner. Um, and so it's mm. very strange to me to be able to observe someone doing something and to not be able to connect myself with the part of the brain that's working when they're doing it. So I, I started to notice frustration and confusion coming up. Mm. So frustration and confusion. Um, and then the difficulty of uh, getting places on time. Fortunately I was, uh, I had other people that I was living with, and we would go to the same classes. So yeah, it solved that problem fairly well. Mm. But um, or I would just stay at school all night so that I was there the next morning when class started. Um, but uh, let's see what else. Um, uh, well, I mean, there were a few other things. that will probably pop up as we're we're talking. But those are sure, some of the, sure. the first things that I I remember
0: symptoms yeah and did you ever you weren't the hyperactive type
1: no um i wouldn't say that i externalize that hyperactivity however when my stress levels are up um it does become more apparent i don't sit there i don't have like ticks i don't sit with my hand bouncing on my knee or Mm. um my foot jiggling very often um but I do find that when I'm stressed out, one of the only ways that I can start to recenter is by dancing or going outside in nature or um, physically moving or whenever I'm uh, in a, a happy state or a ideal state, I'm very physical, very embodied, very body centered, very um, expressive and- Not animated. Yeah.
0: That helps. Yeah. It's interesting because I had a, a podcast uh, interview yesterday with uh, Gabor Mate. I'm not sure if you're familiar with
1: oh, yeah. Gabor
0: Mate. Yeah. I love his work. Uh, he's amazing. And it was really interesting because he just bring just talking up to what you said, you said that, you know, when, when you get stressed or when it's overwhelming, right? the symptoms really start to kick in. And one of the things that he said was that um, as children, you know, when we're exposed to stress, um, sometimes we call it trauma, but it's usually stress uh, by the parents or from the environment that one of the ways to react um, that the nervous system reacts is you tune out you you disassociate right and eventually it becomes this like oh there's so much stress and overwhelm i can't think i gotta just i i gotta leave the room i gotta you know i can't take it right i thought it was very interesting because i was going to ask you some questions because uh you know one of my favorite sayings is just because there's no drama doesn't mean there's no trauma uh meaning Sometimes people think they grew up in a great household. I did. My parents were together. We, you know, there was no divorce. There was no medical trauma, but there was a lot of stress and anxiety. So I'm wondering, do you, uh, can you recall, or how do you feel about your family when you were growing up as a kid, uh, perhaps even right after birth or in your earlier years from whatever you remember, uh, is there something like that that you could perhaps that we could point to as that your nervous system started to be affected, right?
1: Yeah, um, it's a that's a very interesting question because I I do agree it's um, I think that in certain cases there's obviously certain kinds of trauma that are very yeah. overt, right? Obvious, but, yeah. Um, it can also be very contextual and individual to the person. Absolutely. So, I had a similar experience growing up. my My parents are still married today, um, and you know they they made a lot of really positive efforts for us, and um, you know are great people. I, I love my parents. They 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 really do their best um, at every given moment.
0: Yeah, um, which they all do. I mean, I would say for the most part, most yeah. parents really work hard. They really. Do the best they can you know
1: yeah um, when I was growing up I do remember one one time and it's so it's so silly to be looking back on it but um it was so impactful and it was completely a misunderstanding I was watching my mom um, have a, a intimate conversation with my younger brother um, from the stairway they didn't know that I was there and they were making up about something and my mom gave him this really sweet hug and I was so jealous oh my gosh I mean I felt betrayed by Mm -hmm. that like she didn't love me as much as she loved Mm -hmm. him and
0: how old were
1: you oh god I was probably five and he was maybe three and a half or something. Uh, very, very, very young. And uh, I decided that I was going to leave. <laughs> so I started to carry all of my crap out of the house.
0: <laughs> wow. I had
1: so much crap. <laughs> and I would, you know, go back for one pile and move it forward a little bit more. And, you know, it was taking me like oh. 45 minutes to move this massive pile of junk out the door. And my mom catches me at some point and um, we have a conversation about what happened and why this was going on. And, you know, I was heartbroken. And it was completely... had nothing to do with her. It had everything to do with how I saw that moment. Um, so when you... I shared that story because when you asked the question, that was the first thing that popped into my mind. And, and while it's, you know, nobody's hitting anybody and there's no yelling, there's no you know, it
0: was, I made it up. Yeah. 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 And, and you know, that's why we say just because there's no drama doesn't mean there's no trauma. Meaning trauma has such a heavy connotation in, in our society, right? Trauma simply is just stress that we haven't been able to process easily, right? Like PTSD is really just extreme stress that hits you and you, you startle and we can't process it, especially as kids, right? Yeah. By the way, lots of kids with uh, PTSD are misdiagnosed with ADHDs. we're finding out. Um, but that's a separate conversation. But my question would also be, was there any, because uh, uh, for me, it's always fascinating, right? Um, another expert, Peter Levine, who deals a lot with mm-hmm. childhood trauma, talks about medical, uh, you know, prenatal stress, uh, medical trauma during birth, like I don't know if we're, were you a C-section, you know, or was it natural or I was naturally
1: born. Mm -hmm.
0: Oh, wow. Oh, cool. Not just like our boys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes there's that and then there's like stuff where one parent is not around a lot, right. Mm -hmm. Traveling or absence. So then there's a lack of nurture or, and even like you said, you make up your own story of like, Oh, my dad's gone a lot. Well, what if he doesn't come back? And then I only have my mom. And then you see your mom with your, with your brother and you're like well and then if she doesn't pay attention to me as much as him I'm toast right right the stress the cortisol level just shoots up so so that's why I'm thinking like yours sounds kind of like mine it's not quite easy to put a finger on it and say oh that event definitely was it you know
1: well you know I would say two things I I don't think that My um, ADHD, or ADD in my case, there's not really a diagnosable H. Um, Right. But I I don't really think that it comes from trauma with me. I think that it's really, and this is kind of my position about it, is that, uh, and I said it a little bit earlier, I think that ADD is an answer to something in in humanity and and so the,
0: I, the, to the environment right yeah to, to how you're interacting with it
1: yeah because we're not given a choice about how we can navigate life you either get stuck in your head and nothing ever happens because things go really slow up there yeah or you get into your heart and you suddenly find that if you follow your heart that Everything falls into place, and all you have to do is trust and surrender, and keep doing that. Mm. And um, and we can talk a lot more about that. But I think that that is really sort of the answer element of ADD, ADHD, mm. uh, and and I think that also I can when looking back, going back to what we were talking about with with trauma and difficult experiences in early life, um, you probably could say that the amount that we moved during those formative years was fairly stressful because we moved when I was five and then we moved again when I was nine eight then I was I was bit by a dog um I was I had I was sort of mauled in the face and I had about half of my face reconstructed Um, wow so, but interestingly, I have, I really, really do have very little trauma from that. Um, the only thing that I I sort of maintain as a, a lingering discomfort from that is actually getting like anesthetic shots in my mouth at a dentist. The taste mm-hmm. of that um, is, I, uh, I just, yeah. I had like, my mouth was full of it in that surgery, so Um, I don't like it, but it's not, it's not like, Oh, I, you know, I'm like shocked into another state or having a flashback or, um, a nervous system overload. It's just like a high, a very strong preference against it. And it reminds me of that.
0: And how old were you?
1: I was eight when that happened.
0: Wow. That, that must be terrifying though. I mean, that's like, as a parent, you know, I have an eight year old to think that a dog would, I mean that's.
1: Oof. I was For very. A parent, lucky.
0: that's scary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I, I was, I was very, very lucky. I mean, people who are just listening to this audio, they can't exactly see my face, but it came out very well. It
0: looks amazing. I was going <laughs> to yeah. say, I.
1: Yeah.
0: Zero idea. Yeah. You know, and I've met you in person. It's not like, yeah.
1: I was very wow. lucky that on call, um, was a world class children's plastic surgeon and um, and so I got the best treatment. and I actually wore a burn mask for a year that kept the scars from having any texture to them. So wow. I was very, very lucky in how that was treated. I was also very, very lucky in that I did not maintain any trauma. You know, my, my dog is sleeping right here at my feet right now. She, I, I love dogs.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I'm yeah. really
1: grateful. That yeah, it's interesting. <laughs>
0: That, and that's, that's definitely a big impact. And, you know, I feel like what happens often with a nervous system that, you know, Peter Levine talks about it, the somatic experiencing where the body stores the, the trauma, and then it comes out in ways, like you said, you, you've, you, you feel good when you physically move, right. When you, yeah. I have the same thing. Like I like to do, I wish I could do this podcasting while I'm hiking, you know, like, uh that kind of you know uh, so it's interesting uh, that that might have contributed to uh, additional stress, but certainly as a kid moving a lot uh, would be very stressful because you know kids, as you know, we want to feel safe and rooted, and we like certainty, right we like to know where are we going where who am I talking to how
1: much At, longer on the flip side of get there
0: I know right <laughs> but on the flip on the flip side of that is. You know, the same with our kids. We've moved now since they were born. I think we're in our fourth house and sort of in a similar area, but now we moved to Ohio, which is a little further away. But I believe on the flip side, our children, like yourself, you become more uh, adaptive and you can reinvent yourself. You can meet new people anywhere. You're not stuck, you know, like in this sort of boxy way of living. So it, it, it's a, Could be stressful, could be triggering, but it's also, uh, my belief is, uh, any trauma or stress once you overcome it is a gift, right? Absolutely. Um, Now, uh, did you, when you were, so you were officially diagnosed then without necessarily the test, but it was clear, um, and then did you ever, did you try medication or are you on medication or...
1: I did take medication um when I was in art center so one of the the main reasons why I ended up in therapy is because I was experiencing some serious depression um there was a a, you can call it a public humiliation but um I there was a big event that happened I was very in school. yeah yeah at school um I was on Uh, student government and I was very, very active and very visible and I took a really, really intense stance against something that was happening um, within my department that had had to do with the administration and some political moves that were going on. I exposed a lot of people. Um, I kind of like blew the whistle. Um, And, you know, some people don't know how to handle information that they don't want to hear and... um, I still to this day don't know who did this, but they printed out my email, wrote slurs about me on it, posted it every four feet in school. And I woke up... um, Actually, I was at Disney for an internship uh, uh, interview sort of a thing. And I got calls from the Dean of Students and the President of Student Government. I was VP and uh, some friends at school. And they were all asking me, what's what's going on with this? And I was stuck in the bathroom at walt disney animation studios bawling my eyes out because i couldn't understand how someone could do something so cruel and Mm. and you know why would they even do that (laughs) trying to expose something and so i i i took on a pretty heavy um victim mentality at that that point and i went i immediately dissociated and I experienced really severe depression and um, I actually had to resign from uh, student government because I no longer had the presence to run meetings. Um, I couldn't keep people in control because my self-esteem had dropped so far down. I, I just couldn't bring myself to interrupt people. You know, it was just, it, it broke my ability um, to perform. Yeah. And, um, and so I ended up in therapy because I was just desperate to figure out what went wrong and and it was like a switch had flipped it wasn't like this slow gradual thing it was like suddenly I made my mind up about something and then I promptly forgot what I made my mind up about and took my finger off of the switch and no longer knew how to turn that thing off and so I um Went through several different therapists before I found myself with one that was quite good, and could um, dance with my my brain. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was after many sessions that, and you know, and I'm telling him everything that I'm dealing with. I I had a a psychologist who I'd sit and talk with, but I also had a um, psychiatrist who would prescribe things in unison. So
0: and this was for depression at first
1: it was for depression at first and i was very very clearly disassociative depressed and um you know we did a lot of work on that and it really didn't get me very far it just kind of kept me from getting worse (laughs) and the Mm. medication just sort of helped me get through things but it didn't make me better and um and I was dealing with, you know, lots of stuff like insomnia, hypersomnia, simultaneously too. Um, and concentration issues, you know, it, it it threw my ADD through the roof. So we you know, we got the, you, the depression You hadn't been under diagnosed
0: that or you, you didn't know at that time yet, right?
1: Right. We got the depression under control, but then the stress, the impact of the stress is still there. And so the ADD is then just kind of what's obvious at that point. And he's like, it's just, it's, it's very clear that this is what you're dealing with. And I had done, you know, I was curious about it, We'd go home and do all these different tests and things online, checking myself. You know, I was, very. I've always been a very curious person, very interested in kind of dissecting myself and seeing like, why is it that I'm so different from other people and it became very obvious in college so I was doing a lot of that sort of inspection trying to figure out how to get myself back to zero and um and eventually you know after long conversations with my therapist he was like this is what's going on why don't we try medication because medication works very differently for people who have ADD than people who don't so if we try some and it produces a certain result then we'll we'll know one way or the other, we'll know.
0: What is what did he mean by? Uh, I'm not sure if I understood. You mean the difference between ADD and ADHD, or he? What did he mean by if you try medication, it'll be if different you, for people?
1: Well, so people who don't have ADD, the medication mm-hmm. for ADD is different. It it their brains oh, yeah, respond yeah. very differently to medication rather than. You know, a person with ADD, they take the medication and suddenly they're what people would call normal because the mm. parts of their brain that are not in sync with each other are now more in sync. Mm. So oh. so that was one of the he was kind of like, well, you know, you could either do this thousands and thousands of dollars worth of, you know, di- diagnostic tests or, you know, we can take my word for it, because honestly, this is all fairly textbook and try the medication, and depending on the result you get there, we'll definitely know. Mm -hmm. Well, I did the medication, and it was very clear that it was working for me.
0: Mm -hmm. In what way? Uh, Was it Adderall or something like that?
1: Yeah, I did. I went through, I think, three different types of ADD medication. I tried Vyvanse. Um, They put me on Vyvanse first just because that's kind of standard to make sure that people aren't going to abuse it um wasn't an, an abuser so uh eventually it made more sense for me to go on to Adderall which actually did work better for me I had a manic episode on Vivance, very interestingly um but that's the and that's the only time that's ever happened and I'm sort of grateful that it happened because for that that period of time I was on that med now I know what a manic episode is when I I see it happening I know but um I never had any problems like that with Adderall uh and so that's that ended up being what worked well for me Um, and what
0: what were the main the major differences that you felt this was at school right you're still at art center yeah and what did you notice right away or how did it affect you
1: well, um, it allowed for me to maintain a train of thought and to focus on something for an extended period of time. Something that I wasn't already interested in focusing on. That's, the, that's a real key because I, I think one of the superpowers of ADD is when you're doing something that you're meant to be doing, you hyperfocus. And you have absolutely no trouble maintaining a lengthy train of thought or sorting out a incredibly complex problem. Um, But on the other end of that spectrum is if you're doing something that is against your true nature or against your path or your, you know, however you want to put that. Uh, it's basically impossible to get your brain on board with it because your heart just says, nope, 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 and it cuts your train of thought up into little tiny pieces. And uh, and so what it would help me with was that. It would help me do things that I wasn't really in alignment with and get it done Mm -hmm. so that I could graduate. And...
0: Would it fair? Would it be fair to say that it was usually predominantly kind of left brain type of activities or organizing, scheduling, spreadsheets, numbers, or things that weren't necessarily creative?
1: Um, definitely, I would say like a highlight on those things. Um, but you know, going to art center and being a designer a lot of those approaches are very organized and mathematical and it's a process-based approach to creativity. So it's very left-brained art. Um, the, I, I, the degree that I have is an in industrial design. It's not a um, bachelor's of fine arts. It's a bachelor's of science. And right. yeah. So, you know, we were learning things like, um, physics and uh electronics and um, car design and sculpture for production and um wood shop and construction and you know like along with illustration and color and design principles and um but mostly the thought process right and the level of demand, I think, was probably one of the things that threw me off so much because I couldn't manage my time very well. And that's where the medication helped me. It helped me shift between tasks so that I could manage my time because most of my time would end up breaking down in the, the space between tasks. And that was where I could just end up in a black hole. And, uh, and so the medication helped with that. It helped me with whatever that thought process is that stops you from being on time places, like you just end up in a, a time warp. You have no idea how it ended up being this hour and Yeah. You know, and you're like, Well shit, I gotta get out the door Um, it would help it would help stop that. I and I still to this day don't know what that thing is. I just know when I'm feeling it. Um but it would it would prevent me from going into that that time warp zone where time would just kind of flow weird.
0: And uh, so are you still on medication today or how or did you how long were you on medication for?
1: I was on medication for I think maybe maybe two years.
0: And this is to, to sort of finish school?
1: Yeah. And I would say, I would I would definitely say that I could not have made it through school without the medication, hmm. uh, just given the level of stress. Uh,
0: yeah, understandably so. Um, and wh- why did you uh, stop medication or discontinue? What happened? What was the reason for it? And how are you doing without it today? That's different um, to compare it to back then, right?
1: Yeah, so there was, uh, so, you know, I was simultaneously dealing with depression and um Right. I was on I think I think it was when they prescribed me the sixth medication that I was like, "No. <laughs> no Not more." Six, at the
0: same You don't mean at the same time like the yeah. sixth type? Okay.
1: <laughs> no, I was on six different medications cuz I was on something I mean at the same time? At the same time.
0: Wow, six? Yeah. Man, I don't have a record board, but I'm gonna have to start putting people in there and go like who's had the most, <laughs> the That's most pretty high pills.
1: for It was wow. a lot. So this just... was
0: for depression, anxiety, what, sleeping, ADHD and
1: pretty yay? much regulating every single wake sleep functionality. I had I was oh. taking Selexa and Wellbutrin and New Vigil. And, um, and then I was taking Adderall and, uh, and then they prescribed me a sleeping pill. Um, I, f- I forget what that's called, but it's.
0: Wow. You know, it blows my mind because like, who know? I've always said this, and this is not just in relation to, uh, medication. This also in relation to cleaning products or right. Chemicals around the house or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm always like thinking who figured out to say, well, if you take those six at the same time, should be okay. Like none of them are, you know, none of them are gonna fuck with each other and n- none of the three or the six will end up <laughs> causing something. Like it's almost like a gamble. I, I I don't think they've tested all the cross combinations of drugs cause that would take millions of years. So I'm just always amazed. I'm so glad that you are alive and healthy because that's a, that's a gamble. Did you, Did you ever not feel like, I mean, taking all these pills, was there ever an issue, a side effect or a, I mean, you mentioned the manic episode, but was there something that you remember where it was like too much? Obviously we're getting to why you quit them, but.
1: Um, Um, well, I would say that it was primarily the fact that they weren't really working, Mm. you know, they were getting me through school and it was helping enough to make me be able to perform at the level necessary to graduate. But that was not a place that I wanted to live my life. You know, I was very, very clear that I did not want to live a life that was about performing for other people. And, that's, and, and college was the first time that I had to do that. It was the first time that I had to conform myself to a standard that someone else created. And I just knew that wasn't right. Not like there's a right or a wrong, but like it wasn't what I was meant for. It's not what I'm here for. I was just real, real clear about that. And it was evident in the fact that in order to even be able to meet the most basic level of this standard that someone else had invented, I had to pump myself full of all of these chemicals that we're going to change the way that my hormones and neurotransmitters operated in order to, you know, fake it till you make it in a really severe way.
0: Function, right? In order to be a productive citizen. You know, it's interesting because, quote unquote, right? (laughs) Um, One of our other experts, uh, Tom Hartman, who's now no longer an ADHD, you know, he's done his ADHD stint and was a psychiatrist, but now he's into, uh, he's a political talk show host and very successful. but he wrote a bunch of books on ADHD. And one of the things he always said was that he would say ADHD starts when kids go to school. And now it's changed over the years because we're now medicating kids as, as young as two years old. I found out the other day it was a two-year-old, one of the first I've heard. And, you know, it is what it is. I'm not anti-meds. I'm, I'm anti-making meds the first line of defense, the, the you know, the first option. Yeah. Uh, but my point is that His his point was, uh, and it's slightly different with you because you were homeschooled or unschooled, is that when kids first go into a structured environment, the way you just described it, where there's now a performance expected and a comparison to other performers. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's a there's a competitiveness that's totally expected. At the same time, everybody gets a participation award right in in. preschools and kindergarten, all that stuff. It's kind of like saying, let's not compete. But then once you go into, you know, elementary school, it's already, the race is on. Right. Right. And so I always find that idiotic, but anyway, he said, you know, <laughs> what 80 starts when kids go to school and it stops when they graduate
1: mm. and
0: you're not, you're not the first person that I talked to that said, you know, once I graduated and once I kind of started my own business and did my own thing, you know, I'm still different. My brain still works differently than other people's yeah. and I still forget shit, but I don't really feel like I need medication or have really strong ADHD. So it's just interesting. It reminded me of that, you know, so you were done with college and then it was it just was it like you just went to the therapist and said, hey, guys, I'm, I think I'm going to wean myself. We're going to wean myself off here. So we're going to wean even- me off.
1: I didn't even do that. I was just cold like, turkey. Cold. I was just like, nope. I didn't. I couldn't cold turkey everything. I um. I cold turkeyed Adderall. Adderall was actually the easiest one to get off of. It took me three days to be completely like not missing it. Um, but interestingly, the hardest one to get off of of was Selexa. That was that took me I think four four to six months to wean off of, and I was just having to chip. Wow. A, a little depression, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That, yeah, went, okay.
1: that and Will Butrin were really hard to get off of. Um, the others, and what were do you mean
0: by off. what do you mean by hard to get off of? Meaning if you didn't take it, you would notice it, or or, or how, oh. how would you?
1: Oh my god, yeah, I would. Um, I, I don't even know how to describe that experience. Uh, it was incredibly uncomfortable, not physical, mentally. Um, I would be just incapable of uh, managing my thoughts and connecting thoughts, um, and I basically kind of felt like I hadn't slept in five days, which going to arts center I know what that feels like. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a really yucky feeling and i i felt like my brain was just you know if i if i stayed off of it for a couple of days i i i felt like something bad was happening to my brain it was very 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 uncomfortable extremely noticeable and um it, it just yeah i i wish i had better Crazy, words for yeah. that, but it was it was yeah, yeah, an unparalleled level of mental discomfort we'll just put it that way
0: I was gonna say anything that's uncomfortable or discomfort is a good word probably to use yeah yeah um wh- how were your parents about this? did they know about it? I mean you're an adult obviously but did you share with them and how did they feel about it or what was their opinion on taking that many drugs at the same time
1: um you know honestly they were supportive um and my mom you know I grew up bless her uh, because I owe a lot of my, what saved me to my, my mom and how I grew up, um, I grew up with nutritionists and chiropractics and, uh, herbalism and all of these sorts of things. And, uh, and that is ultimately one of the things that, that saved me from meds. Um, Mm -hmm. but health and, um, Striving for it in a natural way was something that I grew up with. My mom knew that taking all of those meds was not a great thing, Mm. but she also supported me in my goal to graduate and to overcome that because she knew that I, I would be a very incomplete person if I hadn't beat that. Just not... Um, not for anybody else, but myself either. Right, you know? completed.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I am. I am yeah. something of a completionist, not not religiously, but um, there's certain things in my life where when I set my mind to it, if I don't, if I don't complete it for some reason, um, if I don't mm-hmm. push myself, then I'll always wonder what would have happened if I had. Um, which it turns out actually that all of the struggles that I dealt with in art center were the fuel for the greatest transformation that I ever experienced. And I wouldn't know that for another year after I had graduated. Um, but uh, it was instrumental for me to get off of all of the meds because I wanted to know what I was like. I wanted to know where I was at. After a couple of years, I wanted to know who who I was without all of that stuff.
0: And was it a little bit uh, like... Uh, Oh, I actually wanted to ask you something before I forget. Sounded a little bit like you're you got some of that. I need to complete it from your dad. Right. He seemed to be someone who believed in. Let's get a degree. Let's get it. Let's let's have something completed. Right. Which is very common, obviously, for parents. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Definitely got that from my dad, without a doubt. My mom, um, my mom did not graduate. So that was definitely not a thing with her. Uh, it's yeah. not a story that she carried around, um, but I've always classically identified a little bit more masculine, and um, and so that that sort of more masculine approach of you know get a degree get get a job get a, you know that was more something that I identified with than you know get married have kids like be a housewife that that has never never been um, on my yeah. mind. So it's interesting different.
0: that. Uh, yeah, no, that's great. I'm, I'm glad you used that word because often, you know, it gets a lot of heat when I talk about masculine and feminine energy. And we both have it right. Men and women, we both have it. It's a it's a matter of balance and, and how it's used and when it's used. And, you know, if you're in a partnership, uh, it doesn't have to be heterosexual. It's the same for, you know, LGBTQ. How many have we added some letters? I'm forgetting LGBTQ. <laughs> LSTMF, okay. <laughs> um, you know, it doesn't matter because there will always be a dance, right? And yeah. what what I'm finding, what we've also found in our research is that when women um, are uh, sort of not, I don't want to say conditioned, but you know what I mean, when they're conditioned to create certainty in life, um, that is actually a, masculine's, uh, a masculine trade. And it's the Traditionally, the men's uh, not duty, but we're we are wired that way. Like, I, as a man, as a husband of my family, I'm wired to provide certainty and safety for my family. It's just what it is. Yeah. And, and if you take a, a say a lesbian couple, you'll have one of the women more likely to be that person, right? And it sounds like from your dad, you got that like get, get a degree that's how you get a job, make money, and then you'll be independent and you, you're strong, right? Which is yeah. certainly a great great quality, right? Um, but what we're finding nowadays is that when, uh, uh, when women are pushed into that direction, and it's like you said, it's, you're, you're being in the masculine a lot, right? Then it's stressful, because women aren't wired to, to, to do that, they can right a woman can be a ceo of course no problem but the amount of stress that's that's uh uh what's the word projected at that at that woman is intense and
1: and, you know it's also about like being forced to do it a certain way like saying that you can't be a ceo if you can't perform this way you ought to be able to do this and and what I've discovered is that you can perform at incredibly high levels from a heart-centered space where you're being yep. simply guided by a principle and a goal. And yeah. and that is an emergent reality. So you're embracing surrender and, um, and trust and faith and uh, you're practicing all of these principles. Right. But you're... And you can even sit down and have a plan, but ultimately when you're doing it, you're in this more feminine space of receiving everything as it's, it's coming and you're, Mm -hmm. you're reacting to it in a way that's driving towards that goal and principle and, and and it comes to you. It will come to you, but I have not experienced a failure in this area. It works. Uh,
0: It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting because a lot of, you know, nowadays, if you say, let's take a CEO woman in a business nowadays, let's say you're the CEO of AT&T, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, where our world currently is at, you know, it's a high stress, it's a high power, it's a make a lot of money. You could say it's almost, it's almost an overdrive of creating certainty and income so that you have so much, right? And I think if a woman goes in there from the feminine, like you were talking about, You could turn that business around and perhaps in the end, everybody would realize we don't need to make $100 billion a year. We can make $10 billion a year, but we can surrender. We can do more fun stuff, be creative. We we don't have to be so masculine overdrive, you know, money, which really is just we're wired to provide certainty. So if you let us go too far, right, we will own countries, which we shouldn't. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I you know? I couldn't I couldn't agree more. In fact, one of the uh, things that I like to harp on as um, a a potential like one sweep solution for the planet is um, to abolish the GDP and to measure like measure for something human. Because Happiness or, you know, yeah, or they,
0: they do that in I think it's in Bhutan, Bhutan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Where they measure the happiness of the country as the first most important measure.
1: Right. So there's actually there's a precedent for this and it shows that it works. So so it's well, that's it's possible. That's, the,
0: that's what I would say. If, if that president of Bhutan is a man or if a woman, I don't know if it's a woman or a man. But either way, that human being has a good balance of masculine feminine because yeah. they figured, you know what, we can have both. We can have income, and we can, you know, be happy. Whereas in this country, but we're getting a little sidetracked. That was my doing. Uh, <laughs> but I wanna, but I wanna get back. And I do have some kind of big, bigger picture spiritual uh, questions as well. Um, but t- take me back. So, so you, you graduate, right? Oh, yeah. so no. Another, another question was: so your mom uh, was. A practitioner or more like introduced sort of herbal healing natural medicine that kind of stuff yeah. right That's yeah part of your family
1: yes yeah so um we we consumed um natural health really good things got it and um and you know as religious as we were she also was interested in energy work and things like that and so nice um, i grew up with a exposure to energy work and to herbalism and nutrition and uh and those were some of the things that had gone out well and and religion so uh, i'll put that one on the table as well what kind of religion um i grew up protestant christian my family was church of christ christian so for anyone who knows what church of christ is like (laughs) it's a pretty interesting it's
0: the church of christ yeah
1: yeah and um you know it's pretty it's extremely conservative you know no dancing no clapping no um music oh. four-part harmony like acapella um wow. congregational singing you know like it, it, it it's a it's a special mm-hmm. place and a lot of good people in the church of christ um i know they learned a lot of really great Great things, and there's also some very, very strange problems with that of, church.
0: Of course, as uh,
1: there is with all I religion. Always,
0: <laughs> yes, yes, I always joke that I I grew up Roman Catholic, and now I'm just Roman. So <laughs> it's <That's> my joke. <laughs> but so, my question would be, I do you think, you know, this is kind of a fun exercise. I could imagine your parents talking in the kitchen, right? You just announced, and I know it probably didn't go down this way, but let's say you say, Hey guys, I'm going to take these pharmaceutical drugs. I'm dealing with depression and I need, you know, all that stuff. I'm going to do it. And they're in the kitchen and you're a fly on the wall. And do you think, and I don't want to lead the witness here, but do you think that it was probably your dad pushing for making that okay? And your mom maybe feeling like if, uh, we could do it naturally. Be great, but I know you wanted to finish school. Or how do you think that conversation went down?
1: You know, honestly, I have no idea because I wasn't there for it, and they weren't a part of of it. <laughs> I sure, was so sure. Sure, I'm just hypothetically thinking. Yeah. Um, I. It's it's very interesting because from the moment I moved out, I was extremely. I, I always have been extremely self-driven, um, extremely independent. And, uh, very stubborn, very not, there's not a lot of people who will go up against me whenever I've set my mind to something, yeah. um, and, and bless them for trying. Cause it doesn't usually work, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I, I don't even know if a conversation like that happened. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't, uh, mm. and, you know, it might've gone something like, well, Rebecca's going to be taking this now well, why is she doing that? Uh, well, apparently she's dealing with this. Well, okay then. And that might be what it sounded like. I, I yep. don't know. There may have also been some questioning like, well, does she, do you think she really needs that? Well, she's going to a doctor and the doctor says this. So, you know, and yep. my, my dad is very much on the, the doctor side of things. You know, if doctor prescribes it, then it's safe and yep. it's fine you know, um, yeah. whereas I, I really kind of growing up in the middle of those, those two realities, the natural health world and um, the medical, Western med- medicine approach, I really learned to question. And, um, and, and, and in particular question Western medicine um, and the Western approach. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, I whenever I graduated school, my number one priority was to get better and to heal, and to be whole, and not to have to depend on some sort of medicine to cover up what was clearly a fixable problem, because a, a switch had flipped. There's got to be a way to flip that switch the other way. And so I was very interested in figuring out the mechanics of this situation, because I knew that if I could get my hands on whatever part of myself it was that switched that that on or off, yeah. I'd... I wouldn't need any of the meds. So I completely got off of all the meds. Good for you. You know, however long it took. Um and I felt better because one of the things, you know, particularly with the ADHD medication, um, I is like my chest would feel compressed. You have to monitor your blood pressure every day because uh, you know, you just by taking it your blood pressure goes into a medium zone and you have to make sure that it's not going into a a dangerous zone right so that i could feel the pressure on my heart physically and and that was a great thing to leave behind because ultimately it felt kind of yucky it felt like i was dirty um so to to feel just like i could take a free breath and um to not have that mm, that buzzing uh was really you know, welcome. Wow. Yeah, um,
0: yeah.
1: And then getting off of all the rest of it, but uh, I, I decided to incorporate in the things that I had left behind whenever I went to college, thinking that maybe there was some sort of answer in those things. So I prioritized my health in a natural way, nutrition, um, and supplementing with plants and herbs and uh, and vitamins and minerals. Uh, making sure I was getting what my body needed, basically.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, and then I started to do a more spiritual approach because that had gone very um, by the wayside. I didn't have time, quote-unquote, for yeah. any yeah. sort of spiritual practice when I was going to school. And I um, I decided when I was doing that, because I, I started to have some epiphanies in that world, having some realizations, started when I, I went to college and, um, actually the first moment was whenever I was exposed to cannabis for the first time. And I realized that nothing was as I had been told. And so that really, you know, like experiencing the reality of it versus experiencing what I had been taught to believe, um,
0: But you're talking about the entire matrix, the system, everything. Yeah,
1: yeah, it started. That was the witnessing cannabis at my first ever college party was Mm -hmm. um, that was the first time I started to really question things because I just realized how different the reality was from what I had been told. And I and so eventually I ended up Um, smoking pot and that's what I replaced all of the medication with successfully replaced every single medication with specific Mm. strains of cannabis
0: this was uh, right after uh, college right after art center yeah
1: yeah so I got off all the meds and um, started to incorporate in more nutrition Um, I started studying herbalism um, as a practitioner. Um, so I'm not one of the things that I, I do, which I don't think I included in that bio was um, I'm a professional herbalist. Oh, wow. There's just too many things that I do to include. Jack it in of kids. <laughs> it's it's uh but I think that that's sort of the, the trademark of a heart centered path is that you're going to pick up a, a lot of different yeah. skills along the way. Yeah. And,
0: and by oh, the way, that a lot of times uh, people, uh, diagnosed with ADHD, are made fun of uh, as jack of all trade, master of none. But the time has come in, in, in this world at this time that we're actually we need uh, uh, jack or uh, jack of all trades, you know, because things are shifting so quickly. You know,
1: Yeah.
0: So I'm, yeah. I'm glad you're, um, um, you're you have skills and, and expertise in a lot of you know things. Well, right? I,
1: I I think that it's it's important for us to realize that, um, someone with multiple skills isn't necessarily not a master. In fact, I think that multiple skills can point to a deeper sense of mastery. Um, and a, yeah, it's, uh, one of the things that's really interesting. Um, I find that whenever I'm on my quote unquote path, that new skills come to me instantly. Like, it's Mm -hmm. like, I already knew how to do them and uh, yeah. so I could sit down and just know what I'm doing and I know you know I maybe witnessed somebody do it once or twice or um but like when the time is right this it just comes to me yeah and so that that's how I've picked up all of these different skills as I've gone along and um sometimes I have thought that you know oh well that was a short-lived thing and I'll never use it again but um this year, I actually ended up um, saving the business that I work for by using skills that I had thought I were retired for forever. Wow. So, you Good know, for you. Yeah. it's, it's never, it's never too late for those skills that you thought that <laughs> you would never use again to have a meaningful use. Yeah.
0: You know, I, I, I had some, uh, I had a therapist uh, in the early two thousands and it a, it was just, it was like, I was confused. I didn't know really what I was doing in life. And I just thought, I'll go see someone just to talk. And, and I remember telling her, she's like, what are you good at it? I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a DJ. I can do music. I can uh, photography, filmmaking, you know, I can, uh, uh, I'm advertising, I'm, you know, all, sports, all these things. And she's like, use all of them. And I was like. Yeah, but how I can't, it, it, you know, and nowadays, like literally 20 years later or 18 years later, I am using all the skills, yep. you know, so it just took time for me to find what I really wanted to be passionate about or what I was passionate about. And then all the skills came in handy.
1: That is so cool to hear you say because I have the same experience. And I remember there being a time not too many years ago where i wondered if my life would ever come together in any meaningful way you know it just felt like all of these uh planets out in the far reaches of the solar system of me that were never going to align but um you know trust yeah that it's gonna come together because if you're following if you really have a, a consistent commitment to a purpose, I, I really do believe that um, all of the things that you, all of your life experiences and skills and whatever has come of them um, will yeah. will show to have meaning in, in fulfillment. Totally. In that.
0: And yeah. I think it's what you just got me present to. This is my own interpretation of it. You know, we're running around in life uh, wondering what our purpose is. Well, our purpose is to keep growing and healing. That's it. There's no like like once when I'm on that path, what I'm supposed to be doing shows up because I'm healing, I'm transforming myself. And then I get inspired about things and I do them and I'm like, oh, I'm fulfilled. There's nothing else I'd rather be doing. Right. Yeah. So I just got present to when you said that, which is beautiful.
1: Yeah. I I think that, you know, the, the way that I like to put it is that, um, Life, life has no meaning, but it has it has a purpose. And that purpose is to have an experience Mm -hmm. to actually experience being alive. That's enough. Yeah. And, you know, like if we ever get beyond um, the need to learn or grow like we have, we recognize that these are states of being that we are and we cease to have like a focus on them like an addiction right Mm -hmm. um i find for myself that that's kind of like the last bastion of of identification with reality is like i i I, I like to learn and um but there was a time where i had this really big awakening it was actually the moment that i um experienced healing from depression and uh, I had this huge, massive expansion in my consciousness and my awareness and um, and the need to learn ceased to be a focus and I was learned and I became that which I had been pursuing and in that moment of recognition I realized that all that was left on the other side of of having, being, and doing all of the things that you think you should have, be, and do is experience, is to be, simply to be now, 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 right here in this moment, and there is nothing else. I mean, ultimately, there is nothing else. Everything else is just this conversation that we're having. Yeah,
0: yeah, (laughs) and what's interesting is, if I may loop it back to ADHD, because, something you said earlier i made a little mental mark Um, if you had mentioned that you were um entering this this school phase where you needed to perform and you know there was things you had to do right and and that's a reflection of our world right there's things we have to do and the question would be if you didn't have to do those things. If you could just do, and I don't mean whatever you wanted to do as in like, oh, I'll just go party and lay around lazy, right? Most people would say, well, that's not, you know, but I'm, I'm really thinking if you would do whatever you wanted to do, like inspired moment to moment to moment, right? Yeah. Would you still have ADHD? Or, and, and let me take this, let me rephrase this just to be clear for my, my sort of, People that follow our show, would you still have this thing that we call ADHD?
1: That's a really, um, that's a, th- that question's exciting to me.
0: It's um, interesting, right? I've never thought about it myself and never posed it that way. But since we're talking about this beautiful being moment to moment, right?
1: I think that because, okay, so to me, ADHD slash ADD is something that is observed often. Mhm. Right? So people look at you, they label you different and then they give that kind of difference a, a name and they call it ADHD and, you know, we're done.
0: Yeah. And um, but it's but it's observed in seeing you interact with an environment that isn't what you choose to and love doing, inspired doing moment by moment, right?
1: Right. The friction
0: is what they they're observing. Right. Not not necessarily the thing, the, whatever we call it, disorder, the, you know, symptoms, it's the friction. Yeah.
1: Right. People are observing symptoms, but the symptoms are only arising because of the rigidity of the system.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's your, it's your response to the, your struggle with, or your response to the friction, which is seen as a struggle and then it's a symptom and then, yeah.
1: So let's let's see if I can actually uh, illustrate this mental image that I have of what's actually going what I think is actually going on in consciousness. So inside of the system, the system is rigid and it continues forward and it does what it does the way that it does it and it does it the same way every single time. But consciousness is ever expanding, changing and um, evolving. Right. So as that evolution is occurring, there's all these new spaces opening up inside of reality for opportunities of action and opportunities to manifest things that are intended to manifest as a result of that expansion. Right Mm -hmm. now, because you have a system that is repetitive and isn't changing and evolving with consciousness itself, there are now all these gaps. There's all these blank spaces where stuff is supposed to be happening. Right. Stuff is supposed to be happening there in order to manifest the reality that is changing, evolving and emerging as a result of that phenomenon. Right. Yeah. Well, people, humans are con- the expression of consciousness in physical reality. We are choice. We yeah. are free will. That's what we are. There- nothing else has that. We are the existence of free will in the universe. And so. I think that ADD is the answer to the blank spaces and we seem to bounce around a lot to other people, because the people in the system are following the train tracks, but we're filling in the gaps.
0: Now, when you say the answer you mean the response to
1: well. So in order for the evolution to be complete, it has to manifest in physical form, right? So yeah, consciousness expands and there's all these new spaces that open up in consciousness. And whenever mm-hmm. we step into those spaces and start acting from those new places, those new spaces of potential and possibility, stuff starts to happen, matter starts to form, things change, shift, mm-hmm. and occur, mm-hmm. right? And so you start to get observable things in physical reality happening that are new and different but inside of a system that is doing the same thing over and over and over again all of those new spaces can potentially go completely untouched so now consciousness has to put in some you know some tricksters some some beings that are willing to bounce around adapt change and be a little odd mm-hmm. so that something can happen in those new spaces sure sure And, uh, and that's, that's what I think uh, the answer, I think
0: I, I get, I get you. Yeah. I think I, I got there in my own way, which is I've said this from the beginning of this, this, uh, project is that, um, kids who are diagnosed with ADHD actually are better suited to adapt and, and reinvent and really take us to the next level of evolution in this society. Right hence yeah. superpower now yes we can't do it with just people with ADHD we need the opposite brains which the the farmers and the hunters right they need yeah. to work together because in this world in the current system the way this world works or functions well is because of spreadsheets and because we've created time because we've created money because you know if those things w- didn't exist again We wouldn't need, we wouldn't have this friction with the, what you call as well, the system, right? Yeah. Uh, If you go to school and suddenly you have to sit down and you have to pay attention to stuff that's boring, and nowadays you can YouTube or Google it, so it's outdated, and you're like, what the fuck am I doing here? (laughs) That's not your issue. It's not like you have a disorder. It's that the system is bringing up that friction you have with the environment. Yeah. And now it's seen as a, often defiance or, you know, checking out or not interested or, you know, um, and then it's a disorder. So right. my next question would be, do you have, you personally, and you can, we can also make it uh, general, but do you have any benefit today to still identify yourself with ADHD?
1: Um. it, yeah, occasionally, when, um, when I am really stressed out, for instance, this year, there's, there's been a lot of stress, a lot of, um, very intense, new, and different stimuli, or the lack thereof, and, um, that has caused occasionally some some of the ADD to arise, uh, in you know, sometimes very sudden and intense ways. Um,
0: now let me let me ask you: Would it? But wouldn't you be able to say to let's say you're with people or at work or whatever, to to call it stress, not ADHD? Or you know, I'm trying to see what benefit do you get? What uh, you know, landmark terms. It's like what's the payoff people get?
1: Well, in, yeah, in like those
0: moments, right?
1: Uh, but I, other, I don't mean uh, this
0: in a negative way. I yeah,
1: no, no, I, I, okay. I got you. Um, the, everybody else is stressed out too, though, right? But they're still able to do things in a certain way. Um, when I say, well, I'm stressed and my ADD symptoms are really like mm-hmm. rearing their head, I tend to get a little bit more compassion and understanding.
0: Got it. Um, so the payoff would be to be feel understood. uh or feel, what's the word, when you feel, uh, yeah, like it, it's a, they go, oh, I see, versus you're just crazy or you're not present or you hate us or whatever.
1: Right, right, right. Like it, there's there's suddenly a, a good explanation for why my performance is suffering a little bit more than everybody else's or, you know, something like well, that.
0: Well, I was just going to say, it's interesting because, you know, one of the things uh, that's that keeps coming up when speaking to experts or, or just people with ADHD, or parents of children with ADHD, is like, well, you say it's the environment, and you say it's distress or trauma or you know school or whatever. But uh, you know, we have four kids and only one has it. Well, yeah, because every single child is different, right? So it's almost like you said, oh, the employees around work—they're also stressed, but they're they're doing fine. Well, they're not you, right? They're yeah. different people, so they might be doing okay. The question again would be going back to like. Is this the environment you really want to be in like 100% super inspired, amazing, love it, driving it, my job, my company, my purpose or is it just a really good job and you, but you happen to be stressed out in it, right?
1: Right, we could right take
0: it We could take it almost also as a red flag of like you're in an environment that's not really suited for you at that moment
1: right i mean for me i can say that i am incredibly fortunate to be working at a place that um is, it couldn't be more aligned with nice. with with my my purpose driven life my my forward yeah. movement in my heart um and and so one of the great things is i may experience a temporary spike of stress and ADD, but the purpose that I have that is so aligned with the job that I have um, brings me home really quickly. So I I I generally don't spend more than a couple of days in a sort of chaos zone mm. um, because I can return to that state of purpose, and then I have actions to take mm. uh, in alignment with my work. Yeah. Um, and and the kind of work that I typically end up doing for my job is stuff that I can I can usually do when stressed out um, because at this point I've got it down and so there's a little bit of a system and yeah. you know, some element of the job is not systematic but the parts that I do have down that are vital for me to get done by certain, period, certain times um, those are systematic and I can kind of you know, just go go through those motions, you have
0: your steps. Yeah.
1: And it's not life sucking, right? Because right. ultimately, I know that it's it's in alignment with my purpose. So the stress is not compounded by yeah. that.
0: Yeah, 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 that's great. Yeah. Well said. Now, what would you say? This is sort of a uh, I have a series of kind of questions to that I do to get research or to get insights into, into people's minds. Right. Who have ADHD. Um, if somebody would tell you, uh, you say, oh, I have ADHD. And they said, no, you, you don't have ADHD cause it doesn't exist. Like what comes to, to, what comes to mind? How would you react or what do you say to that?
1: I would say, well, I agree on a certain level as a, um, ADHD is to me ultimately, like personally, the way I relate to it, like on a deeper level is that, um, It's just a phenomenon in language. Um, And it's a way of summing up certain characteristics. And ultimately, that's all it really is. I don't think it's a pathological thing. You know, it's not a problem. ADD is not a problem. It is a way that some people are. (laughs) <laughs> and it's not a bad thing, but um, it's also, I suppose, uh, it seems abnormal to certain people. And because of that, it's easier to explain to them that I I have ADD than it is to sit down and say, well, I have this characteristic and this characteristic. And th- well, you should just get to know me. You know, if I say, oh, I have ADD, then for the people who that resonates with, that we don't have to have further conversation yeah. about that stuff. (laughs) It's like a,
0: it's like a shorthand, right? It's like, yes, yeah,
1: totally.
0: I like what you said. You said the word struggle, because I wonder if we could just, you know, as a society, if we could just say, Oh, here's some things I struggle with, but I'm working on it. Right. Because I think in our society, the word struggle has become a negative thing. Oh, she really struggles with this. It's like, well, yeah, but that's, that's life. You, you struggle with an environment and then you find a better environment or you get more centered or you heal yourself or you eat better or whatever you're going to do to have that environment work for you, you will do. But if ultimately the environment doesn't work for you, you move on. Right. So, yeah. so I just feel like when we hear people say ADHD as in disorder, that what comes up is you're stuck with it. You can't outgrow it. It's just who you are. You're going to have it for life and medication's the only effective thing and it's genetic and blah, blah, blah. We've actually I don't want to say the word debunked, but we have experts talking about all of these studies and they're totally taken out of context. They're not valid. Some of them are made up. And so I was just left with like, what is it? Right. And, and, uh, I like what you said. It's, it's, uh, I forgot how you phrased it at the very beginning, but it's, it's a set of, um, uh, symptoms or, uh, reactions to the environment or answers to the environment or to where you're at in life and you happen to just use the best of it and try to make it work, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now, there's something that you said there that I I would like to highlight on a little bit because I did yep. find that for me managing the um, the difficulties of being in a system that goes often against or makes it more difficult to live my life in the way that my heart pulls me, um, or to say it another way, um, makes ADD a lot harder to deal with, <laughs> yeah. uh, is I, I eat a, I eat, I tend to eat, you know, 80, 20, I eat of uh, really nutritious, um, and lots of green vegetables and you know I, um, I'm an herbalist so I use herbs and supplements and make sure that I'm getting all of the uh, building blocks for good neurotransmitters. I, um, I like nootropics are amazing um, and I like to take certain nootropics to uh, help with brain function and, um, and things like that um, just to make sure that the chemistry is balanced out. Um, but I found that the biggest the biggest support, the biggest help for me uh, is two things. Things like meditation, meditative practices, things that get you into your body and clear your mind. Yeah. Um, so I really love like real Tantra, not not sex. Like a lot of people don't realize that Tantra is not a, a sexual practice. It's a spiritual practice of embodiment. Um, mm-hmm. I find that it is in, an incredible help to look at those concepts and to sort of adapt those into your way of being. Cause I, I find that they're fairly natural for quote unquote ADHD people um, to be embodied and present is a very cornerstone uh, power of ADD. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is, um, you know, the place where we met was landmark and that was a really big turning point for me because it gave me tools to eliminate Um, narratives, unproductive narratives. And I find that unproductive narratives were actually sort of an addiction that made it a lot harder to navigate my mind in a uh, efficient way. Mm -hmm. So I became a much more efficient thinker. Um, In fact, I find that the more I'm in my heart, the less I think at all. Um, And so to completely release the need for thoughts to drive your actions um, I, I, I find that I absolutely do not need thoughts to drive my actions at all. I can be completely free and clear of thoughts and have uh, complete and total faith that my my heart is driving my actions in a way that is aligned with my, my higher purpose.
0: Mm.
1: Um, and, you know, and I keep realigning myself with that purpose every day and at any moment, anytime I've, I feel like I'm in question, what's my purpose... Um, what am I here for? And I, I have, you know, answers to those questions. It's not like that changes. I I'm very I have very clear answers mm. for for what those are. So I I check myself and nice, I nice. operate based on virtue as opposed to morality. Um, so it's an ethical approach as opposed to a rule based approach. And I've found that the more I I get my hands on that kind of an approach, the uh, more effortless my life is and the less I appear to have ADD in isolated moments. Now, if you were to look at like a map of Rebecca from like the top down and see all of the places and communities and things that I do and bounce between, that would probably be one of the most telling things that i'm an add person because um the level of variety in my life the level of adaptability that i have Mm -hmm. um and the um amount of stimuli and experience that i like to hold um i have multiple different community big communities in my life that sometimes don't have a lot of crossover. But I just find that I love to have all of these different experiences and they don't necessarily show up all in one place. So that's where it's the most interesting to be me is to have such a wide variety of experiences and ability to be with them. And I notice that other people get so caught up in their interpretations and judgments and things like that that they can't really experience things. But that's what my life is guided by is is experience and mm. and the the width of experience that we can hold. And and it's just a delight I do not I d I don't I wouldn't change my brain for anything. For
0: anything, yep. Yeah. Yep. I'm and same here, you know. I was never officially diagnosed. I did it twice for the film uh, just, and I took meds for the film just to kind of, you know, supersize Mm -hmm. me, kind of try it out. And I was clear, same thing. I was like, I can get there with some coffee, with meditation, breath work, I can. Mm -hmm. But what I've done, you know, really heavily is I started really focusing on doing mostly what I want to do and it wasn't easy at first because it's like how do i make money and how do I support the family and but i got i can't just do podcasts and there's no income, <laughs> you know but, but i figured out you know i figured out a way i got past my fears and i started uh investing in real estate and some stocks and i started finally figuring out a way where for 80 percent of the day every day i can do what i want to do yeah and there is no longer really an, an ADHD type of behavior from me because I literally go, I'm like, ooh, now I'm gonna sit and talk to that person. Now I'm doing a podcast. And yes, you know, you and I scheduled the podcast and I totally had it as 10 because I did two podcasts the last two days at 10. You know, so sometimes it comes in as I'm like, oh shit. uh uh, uh. But it's yeah. very, very few incidents, you know, because it's yeah. driven by passion and I love it. Yes. And so so what I'm hearing is a similar thing that you're, you know, you've carved out a path for your, your being or your brain to feel at ease and at home and inspired and comfortable. And, you know, you're reducing the amount of friction and struggles. And isn't that kind of what life is about anyway? You know, like, find be in the flow and really, right?
1: I, I, th- I think so. I think so. And I think that that's definitely um, a big part of it for you and I, at least right. people with our experience. I can't speak that's for true. other people, but um, I would I venture to say that um, is one of the great gifts of ADD yeah. um, is that we have to find that or we suffer incredibly. We, we can't really be complacent in in this way because the misery that uh, emerges from it is so <laughs> insurmountable that you would just rather live out of a cardboard box than, yep. than deal with it right like I, totally. I I truly truly would rather live out of my car than be a miserable person slogging to work in a you know, fluorescent light lit office building yep. every single day. That's just, I would much rather have some form of adventure, even um, if it sucked
0: <laughs> I'm with you.
1: Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that that is, I hope that people can start to embrace ADD in a positive way for that reason, because I think that that is the gift that we have to give is um to exemplify what it looks like to live by your heart and i think that is where our lives are easier
0: i like that that's a very very well said and um i think we've gotten around a bit here and i think uh, this is a good place to perhaps uh wrap up our podcast and i really really appreciate you you know uh, sharing your life, sharing some of your struggles and what you've been through and, but also sharing your successes. And, you know, in this podcast, a lot of times we call an episode, you know, in your case, like Rebecca turned out, right? Or Ian turned out because a lot of parents are worried. Is my child going to turn out, right? Mm-hmm. If they have ADHD. And the answer is there's no normal one-size-fits-all answer, um, yes, we have hundreds of people now that are sharing their story that, yes, they turned out, they're okay, they're they're living their lives, they're fulfilled, they have partners, they have businesses, they work. You know, it's it's a bit of a, uh, you know, nod to parents of, like, guys, you don't have to stress them. They're not going to end up in jail, right? If you, <laughs> if you love them up and you raise them healthy and you give them, you know, the best you can they will turn out and I think you you are living a living example of uh, living a, uh, a purpose-driven you know creative inspired uh, multifaceted life so I acknowledge you for that
1: thank you and and thank you so much for having me on this podcast it's been a real pleasure and I think yeah yeah it's been this has been a really interesting year and so i i thrive on conversations like this and so this opportunity has been great because there hasn't been a whole lot of them this year and uh and so just getting to have this conversation with you has really brought me home to uh, some of the stuff that i'm talking about so thank you very much and i love this project
0: my pleasure